0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. And we're going to read Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. And remember, as we're reading this, this is God's Word. That's why we're standing together. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south. ...to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This there was an Ethiopian... This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of, of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure... Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shears, is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And then described this, who can describe this generation? For this life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this is? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And being with his script and, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the the, the chariots to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I really do love this uh, this story for a lot of reasons, but I, I hope today... Uh, you too can be encouraged by this very testimony. But before we dive into uh, kind of breaking this down, I want us to remember a couple of things, right? That the, the thesis of Acts is starting in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, if you will, where it's kind of summarized. Remember this, Christ has come in flesh. Jesus has come in flesh, and he dwelt among his people, and he has died. Uh, he paid the price on the cross. He he died the death that they should have died, and then he, he not just paid the price on the cross. He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, and then he has been with his People and as he is ascending to be to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he's speaking with his disciples in Acts chapter one, uh, verse seven, and they're asking, "When are you coming back?" Like kind of watching him rise into this. sky kind of, when are you coming back? And he says, "Well, uh, and to, and your kingdom's going to come." He says, "Listen, uh, uh, you don't know the times or the dates. Only my Father knows when I'm going to come back." In that way, but and he makes very clear as he's kind of going in to be seated with his. Father, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Remember that Acts is about the ministry of the resurrected Jesus. Jesus is alive. Can we say amen to that? Come on, church. Easter's coming. Let's (laughs) practice this week. Jesus is alive. Thank you. Jesus is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And Acts is not about the acts of the apostles or the work of the church. It's about Jesus by his spirit working through his people. And as you see this story unfolding, what we need to continue to go back to is he said, My spirit's going to come. And while you're here, while you're waiting for my kingdom to come, don't just stand staring into the clouds. He says, my spirit is on you and in you. That you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the- And as Acts unfolds, you're seeing this unfolding of this thesis, if you will. This unfolding of this command that they, the spirit comes, they speak in these unknown languages in all nations, tribes, and tongues here. And this is what we need to remember about what we're seeing as this gospel is unfolding. That the gospel is for all peoples. Say that again. Give you a chance to say amen. The gospel is for all peoples. You better say amen. That's us. All people. All nations. All tribes. All tongues. That the gospel is crossing these borders, these boundaries, these barriers. And what Christ has done is reaching to the ends of the earth and that this gospel is marked by his spirit. His very presence is uniting his church, is empowering them to boldly proclaim the the work of Jesus. The Spirit is continually empowering His people to point back to Jesus, the one that they've killed, the one that they've crucified, the one that has done this work, the one that has come, the ones that are doing these miracles, not just in bold proclamation, but they're seeing signs and wonders. And all of it is pointing back to this Jesus that the Spirit is illuminating and making them to see that all that Christ has done is now being fulfilled and, and, and being poured out and, and being done through His people. And God is still moving. And the way that He's moving is sovereignly moving. That God is going to accomplish His purposes and plans. That the gospel that He says, you're going to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, that God is doing it through His people, but He's sovereignly doing it by His Spirit, and He's using their proclamation and their signs and wonders. But this shows how sovereign God actually is. He's not just doing it by power and proclamation. He's doing it through persecution also. See, a lot of people go, well... If uh, God's really in control, then why do these bad things happen? That shows how sovereign God actually is. It actually proves his sovereignty that even those who are trying to stop him and all those haters that are trying to come against him and all of them that are trying to uh, uh, destroy the what everybody trying to uh, come against, God's using those who are persecuting him to actually advance his work. That's crazy sovereignty. Not only does he use his spirit and his people and his power, but he uses those who are trying to stop it and saying, I'm actually going to use you stopping it to make it go farther. God's work cannot be stopped. And it is continuing and working and flowing through. And even through the persecution of the church, they are now spreading, as we talked about, through Beyond just the apostles, right? The apostles get to this place where they can't feed everybody, take care of everybody. And these widows, uh, uh, the Hellenistic Jew widows, they're they're not being taken care of. So what they realize is, look, we need other people filled with the Spirit and power. They need to go. Like, you got to realize this isn't about a superstar celebrity preacher. This is about the people of God filled with the Spirit doing His work. It can't be done by one person. So you see... Stephen, who, who gets martyred, and then you see Philip. This guy, Philip, shows up again. Philip, remember who Philip is. He's one of the seven who was anointed. Uh, he was filled with the Spirit and, and wisdom, and he was anointed or laid hands on by the, the, the apostles to, to, uh, to serve the widows to make sure that the food distribution was done right. But then what you see them is Stephen is boldly proclaiming in the streets, and so is Philip. Philip is known as this evangelist, right? Philip is this powerful evangelist. And last week we talked about how not only did he evangelize and preach and display, not just preach, right? Not just declare, but he preached and displayed the gospel to crowds. Last week we talked about how many people were following him and tons were being baptized and Simon was 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 lured by this. Simon the sorcerer was lured by this and wanted this and wanted to buy the Spirit. Crowds, right? But today we're going to see that this evangelist was not consumed with crowds. He, he didn't... Demonized crowds, but he wasn't consumed with crowds because this evangelist who was filled with the Spirit in front of crowds and the Spirit's moving in those ways is also moved by the Spirit to leave the crowds, to leave the town, and to go out into a desert where he doesn't even know where he's going to reach out to one. See, we can so often measure our evangelistic efforts by how many people are there and not by the Spirit's leading. The Spirit leads us in front of crowds and He leads us out into the desert with just one. And who is this one? This one who is mentioned here. It's couple of things that we see in this text that I want to highlight because the narrator does. Often as we approach conversations like this, uh, we get uncomfortable with talking about the things that make us different. We get uncomfortable with talking about the things that make us different because we think that in order for us to really understand the gospel, we can't see each other's differences. (laughs) The reality is, the gospel does not make us blind to each other's differences. It actually makes us to see that even in our differences, that the gospel can spread beyond just our self and can be seen and displayed in others. There's a couple of things that are mentioned here. First, it's mentioned that he was an Ethiopian. Now, this is uh, important for us to mention because the text mentions it. Why would the narrator mention that he was an Ethiopian? Would it, should it matter? Should it not matter? Is it important? Is it not important? Why is mentioning the race, that he's a foreigner, that he's an outsider, that he's another race important? What we like to do is make everything personal and individual because we don't understand the communal and prophetic implications of this. The reason why it's important for us to talk about these differences is because for this man, this one, I know there's a whole majority, there's a whole crowd that Philip left. There's a whole group of people that the Spirit led Philip away from to go after one guy. Now just think about this. This Ethiopian traveled for long distances to come and worship in Jerusalem. Now, nobody knows, was he a converted Jew, or, or, or was he part of the diaspora? Was he a, a, a Jew that was kind of uh, dispersed, or, or what was it? Doesn't mention it, it doesn't make issue of it, they kind of wrestle with what it is. What we do know is he was an Ethiopian, who traveled long distances, and let's imagine this, he comes to Jerusalem, and he's trying to come and worship, but he's not allowed into Jerusalem the places of worship because of the color of his skin. He's not allowed to be in the inner crowd. He travels, but he's got to stay on the outside. Right? Because of his race. Because of, so why? Because in this, moment there's this idea that because of these people being God's chosen people, they had started to depend upon their race rather than grace if you will and they started to believe that because we are Jewish people this is what made us chosen people and they couldn't see that if you were outsider or different that you could be Part of. So he's leaving, and as he's leaving, he's reading scripture. He's wrestling with scripture, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But God, by his spirit, doesn't, hear me on this, doesn't meet this Ethiopian in the temple. He sends Philip out into the desert to chase the one. And leave the 99. He goes to the margins. And here comes the Spirit of God sending Philip. Not telling Philip, hey, here's why I want you to go to the desert. Oh, I I pray that my relationship with the Spirit of God is as such. Where God says go. And instead of saying why, I say okay. And just go. He goes without knowing what he's supposed to do there, why he's supposed to go there. He just goes. Angel of the Lord appears showing the activity of the Spirit in sending him to this outsider. Here's why I believe it's important for us to continue to talk about why those of other nationalities, tribes, tongues, the minority, why they can be included. Because everything without being said, is saying, you're not. You're not on the inside. You are on the outside. Everything in culture, everything in laws, everything in existence is telling them you're not. But what the gospel does is continue to remind us, go to them and tell them a different narrative. Go and tell them. So he goes and he, Ends up in the desert and once again is highlighted the prophetic impl- implications of what the gospel is doing. That when the spirit falls, they're speaking in tongues and all nations, tribes and tongues is hearing this. There's another thing that separates this man from being a part of the assembly. And Deuteronomy 23, 11, uh, Deuteronomy 23.1, you can write that down, shows that there is another thing and that is mentioned here that he's a eunuch. If you don't know what a eunuch is, let me do my best to explain it. It's basically a man who has uh, cut off his genitalia for a very specific reason. He has completely gone, if you will, removing uh, uh, his organs, if you will, for, for, for a very specific reason. So that he can serve the queen. His motivation in removing them is so that he can serve the queen because in order for him to be as close as he was to the queen, he had to become a eunuch. He had to mutilate his body in order for him to be close to me, so that he wouldn't be sexually tempted to sleep with her. Now he had mutilated and altered his himself in order for him to... Move up the corporate ladder, if you will. In order for him to come close to the queen, in order for him to serve the queen, in order for him to have the role and position he had mutilated himself, and according to Deuteronomy 23.1, if somebody does this, if somebody becomes a eunuch, if somebody mutilates their body in this way, they cannot be a part of the assembly. They cannot be a part of the people of God. They're an outcast. He was an outsider. He was an outcast. But there's something else that you need to notice about this guy. Uh, He didn't need to be an insider, and he didn't need to be a part of the people. Why? Because he was rich and influential. In the people of God, he was an outsider and an outcast. But in the world, if you will, in Ethiopia, he was rich and powerful and influential. This man was close to the queen so close that he was willing to mutilate his body in order to get close and in order to run all of the finances of all of Ethiopia, if you will. He had wealth and influence. He had servants. He had money. He had power. So much so that you can see clues of this, that he traveled long distances with paid time off, if you will, to go worship in Jerusalem he was escorted by a chariot and servants and the thing that would make him the most wealthy is he was so educated that he could read and that he owned a scroll nobody could own a scroll you had to have money to own a scroll this man had everything you would think he would want. He didn't need to be a part of the people. He didn't need to be, but he comes from where he's an insider because he wants to be a part of this worshiping community, and when he comes there, he's on the outside. You see, there are many things That we look at in this, and some of those are, we look at people who have done twisted, uh, shameful things in order to get wealth. And are associated with other political parties, if you will, like he was. Another nation, another political kind of understanding, another way of running government and ways of doing. You look at this guy and you go, He has done twisted, distorted things. He's rised in power to do that. And now he has that power and he's using it in a different system. All of the things that in your minds would put them in another category. And when you look at this man, he's an outsider. And he's not just an outsider, he's an insider for the outsiders. This begs the question of this who have who are the people that you think are too far from being saved or oh, maybe for you if i don't got a problem with i don't all races they could be saved as long as they repent of their race you know they can become us yeah i don't have a problem with race that's not an issue yeah but but what about those who've mutilated their bodies how do they repent What about those who've, who've done things and and, and and twisted and tried to alter their identity and change themselves? What about those who have used their their uh, themselves to kind of work their way up and become rich and and, and get in positions of power and use those, those political powers and, and what about those who are on opposite sides of your political persuasions? So oh there's no way they could be saved. How about those who are, not inside of your clean little box that you continue to filter through if you're going to tell them about Jesus if they fit inside of your clean little, they could, Jesus could save them. Oh, don't, don't act like you haven't done it when you've seen somebody and you're going, I, you know, I would share it with them, but... Um, I don't think God can really save them, but oh, them over there, I see, they're close. God could really save that one, you know. Matter of fact, they'd be cool if God really did something in them, you know. It'd be good to have them a part of our team, you know. They think like you, they look like you, they act like you, they fit inside of your box. Many of us in this room have set boundaries on who God can save. And what this story does is messes with those boundaries. Not only for those whose God can save because it begs us to ask the question, well, what does it look like for a man who's, who's outside and, and has mutilated his body and, 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 and he's done these things and he's kind of worked his way up in power and has all this money? What does it look like for him to repent? What does he have to do? It doesn't even answer your questions. It just displays the power of the Spirit to save this man. such a way that it blows out your boxes and it does something else. It fulfills prophetic implications. That the gospel is spreading to peoples that you, that they never thought could come in. Not only outside of your boxes, but some of you, I've heard you say, I know you have a deep-seated belief that you are too far outside and done things so far out and worked your way up and got in positions of power and money and authority that you, if you gave it up, you don't know where you would land. What You've done things to your body and you've sold yourself in ways that you didn't even realize you would do that. You've gone too far. Just like the eunuch, not only have people put you on the outside, but you see no way in. You think you're too far. You think you've gone too far. You think that the gospel is not big enough to reach that far outside. What I love about this text is last week we talked about the power and the movement of the Spirit falling on His people and that the Spirit cannot be bought. We're seeing the continued movement of the Spirit, but once again, this text draws us back to something that many of us need to hear today, and that is that Scripture, the Spirit brings alive Scripture. Scripture speaks scripture reveals to us something so powerful and here's Philip out in the middle of the desert going, "Okay, Lord, I'm here. You got something for me to do or you just want me to chill or what?" He says, "Look at that chariot." And he goes and he hears he hears and he asks. He's listening, and he asks. Notice this. Most of us think that the gospel is only about talking and preaching and proclaiming, but here we see a man led by the Spirit listening and asking. We're afraid to listen and ask. Why would he be able to hear this Ethiopian eunuch reading right? Because when we think of reading, we think of like sitting in a Starbucks and thinking about other things while we act like we're reading, right? (laughs) There is actually an ancient practice of reading aloud, which is being practiced here, which he is reading out loud. Whether he's reading to himself or he's reading to those around him, he's reading out loud. And this ancient practice is rooted in kind of this belief that reading out loud is a posture in which you're not trying to just read for reading's sake, but you're trying to understand. You see children practice this as they're trying to read. They read out loud so that they could hear themselves I think so often many of us are afraid to read out loud but if the truth be told we sit in quiet trying to read and forcing ourselves to focus and our minds wander What's happening here is he's trying to understand so he's reading out loud and 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 through listening through and being led by the spirit you see this uh you see uh Philip, ask a question. Do you understand what you're reading? And what we see in this is what I'm going to call keys to unlocking scriptures. Many of us struggle with how do we understand scripture. And the reason why we think we should understand them is because we're like the Ethiopian eunuch. We can read and uh, we have a Bible. But if any of us know anything about scripture... Uh, just because we have education and can read, and just because we have a Bible, doesn't mean we understand them. Many of us, are, well, if I just got better education, if I could think deeper, and, and, and the reality is, many people go, "How did you get that out of that text?" Like, oh, oh, well, I just I went to four years of college, and I really learned hard. I really read. I know, man, I practiced reading. No. If anyone understands the reality of Scripture, it's not just about reading and it's not just about education. Here's an Ethiopian man who's highly educated and even has a scroll but can't understand what he's reading. There's something much more. There's nothing again. Please learn how to read and please get educated. I'm not trying to down those things, right? I'm saying that in order for us to understand Scripture, it's not an intellectual educational practice. For us to understand Scripture, we need some things that we see here. One, we need to see that the Spirit is moving to help this man see. The Spirit is waking up Philip telling him hey the angel of the lord you need to go out there he's sending Philip he's working there the spirit is giving him a hunger to understand the spirit is there so the spirit's movement please don't make this a academic uh, an academic text right Le- notice who the star of this text is it's the spirit working Philip asked the question, and what is the answer in verse 31? How am I supposed to understand this unless I have a teacher? And I'm going to tell you this. Please do not downplay our need of unlocking Scripture. We need the Spirit, and we need guides. We need teachers, which Scripture shows us in Romans. How are they going to hear without A teacher? How are they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear? It's amazing how God continues to use his people in his work. The other thing we notice here is that even though the spirit's moving and he's asking these questions what he's wrestling with is Isaiah 53 where he's studying about this suffering servant this one who is like a sheep led to the slaughter this one who is it, it has been beaten and bruised for his transgression this one who has has been suffering and in pain this one who has been outcast this one and he asks the question is this the prophet is he talking of himself or is he talking about another he is wrestling with who is this because the reality is you will not understand scripture if you do not see the key to unlocking it is in knowing and seeing Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies. All of Scripture breathes about Jesus. That we are, not just, uh, we are not just putting our faith in a book. We put our faith in the person and work of Jesus. We have this relationship not just with a book. We don't have a relationship with this book. We have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. And the only way we will understand Scripture if we see that what it's speaking of is not itself, but Jesus. Why is he wrestling? And what happens is, is Philip say, what it says is, Philip hears this and starts, look at this, in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this Scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. I love that it says he began with that scripture saying, you know, that one that was bruised, the one who was beaten, this one you're talking about. And then I could just I'm making this up. I'm riffing. I don't know exactly what he said, but I could just imagine he starts to tie the dots to you. Remember, have you heard about this one Jesus who was beaten and bruised? Have you heard about this Jesus who was tortured and pained and whipped and hung on the cross? Have you heard about him? Have you? And, and then maybe he starts talking about Pentecost and he starts tonight to, 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 uh, uh, connecting the dots and he starts telling him all of this that this prophet Isaiah is foretelling. Even if Isaiah didn't know it was Jesus, it's all being fulfilled in Jesus. And I hope that even in, in all of this, I asked the question: why is it, why is it that they're studying Isaiah 53? Why is it that this eunuch is is studying Isaiah 53? What made him land there? And and I hope, I hope that either why he was studying Isaiah 53 or or that or, or that Philip helped him to see, he took him just a few chapters later, if there were chapters, but a few texts later, and he read to him Isaiah 53 six where it says, "Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does, does this, and the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it and keeps his hands from doing evil. Let not the foreigner, the Ethiopian, who has joined himself to the Lord, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch, who keeps my Sabbath, which is resting, who choose who chose the things that please me and hold fast to what? My covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Woo! Woo! I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be cut off and the foreigners shall join themselves to the Lord and minister to him and love the name of the Lord and by his servants everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to his covenant these I will bring to my holy mountain and make joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called the house of prayer for all peoples and the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of israel declares i will give yet another i will get gather yet others to him besides who he has already gathered i pray that this man heard that jesus was the fulfillment of the suffering servant because he was wondering who is this man that will bring in the foreigner and the eunuch who is this suffering servant Who is the one that will help this prophecy come to pass? He couldn't get it by just studying. He couldn't get it by his own intellect. He couldn't get it by just wrestling with it. He needed the Spirit's movements, and he needed a teacher, and he needed to see Jesus, and he needed to respond in faith. And when he heard this good news, he stopped the chariot immediately and asked the question, there's water. What's stopping me from coming in? Uh. You've removed every barrier. You've removed every doubt. You've removed every belief. I see in Jesus the one that I can rest in. That's that Sabbath rest. And the one who has fulfilled the covenant. And if I can cling and rest in him, and if I can cling to this covenant, I can be a part of this people, the ones that have kept me on the outside and the ones in which I cannot, and I have not seen my way. But through Christ, I can be made one of the insiders. What's stopping me? Philip gets out with him. They go down to the water, baptizes him. They come out of the water, and Philip's gone. See that? Some people go, what happened here? Did he just time travel? He's all of a sudden, he comes out of the water, Philip's gone, and he's in another city preaching. <laughs> Did you read that too? Okay, you're like, uh. First of all, there's a couple questions that need to be asked that the text doesn't ask. Uh, Philip just goes, well, since I'm here, I might as well keep preaching, you know? (laughs) And then the eunuch comes out of the water, doesn't even ask, where'd that guy go? (laughs) He just so tripped out, He just rejoicing all the way back to Ethiopia. I'm a little sketched. Maybe they aren't, but... I'm wondering, what, what's this about? And the reason why is because we like to dive in. and I, Is this really a miracle or is this kind of metaphor or what is this? And theologians like to wrestle over these things and miss the big picture. Because the big picture is proving once again that Philip didn't save this man. This is the spirit validating that he saved, that Jesus saved, that God sent him, and that Philip could have been there or not been there because salvation is a work of God, not a work of man. Salvation is a work of the Spirit. Salvation is not a work of intellect and not mental descent. Salvation is God sending Himself, God sending His Spirit, God sending His people, God sending His Word, God sending the prophets, God sending His Spirit, God sending His church, God sending His people into a lost and broken world who are on the outside, the foreigner, the alien, the eunuch, the outsider, the outcast, and crossing all of those barriers. Salvation belongs to God. God none of us in this room will be able to boast in our own salvation or the saving of others. I even cringe when I hear people go, we got to go out and save people. You can't save nobody, friend. I mean, the times where you see somebody truly come to know and follow Christ, you walk away with this deep sense of I could have been there or he could have snatched me away, but that was God. I'm just thankful I got to see it, to witness it, to watch it, to be a part of it, that God used my mouth, that God used my feet, that God used my hands, that God used my voice, that God used me to be an instrument, an evangelist, to be one who proclaims, to help someone see. But the Spirit opened their eyes. This was a work of salvation. That I was there to see them go down in the water and then I was in another city. Where did, you know. The beauty of this moment is that the only one who can be boasted in God. Matter of fact, it says in Revelations that when we all stand before the throne of grace and we look at who God, we'll all be singing one song. You want to know that song? You should start learning it now. (laughs) Salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb who sits on the throne we won't be talking about what role I played or what part I had in my own salvation. We will be singing one song, and that song will be, you saved me. You rescued me. You you came out into the desert places where I was leaving discouraged, trying to understand and could not understand. I was walking away with my head held down trying to figure out how can this Ethiopian eunuch who's on the outside, how can he come in? I know I have all the things, but something's missing. And then you rescued me. You came out and you sent your servant. You sent your spirit. You came and revealed yourself to me. This begs a couple of response points. Every time the gospel is heard, it demands a response. for those of you who are coming and rejoicing at the table today, partaking in communion and eating and drinking of this cup, I pray that you come with a a heart, a, 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 a sense of how grateful you are that this, you get to partake of this because you didn't do nothing to receive it. It was all based upon the work and the sacrifice of Christ and you coming up and responding and drinking the sweetness and the the beauty in eating and being fulfilled by it, but that at the same time that your eyes would be opened that you have received this so others can. This week there is a heightened awareness of who is this Jesus guy. And if there would be a church that had their ears open and could ask questions and a boldness to just go up to somebody and say, you should come with me. Let's let's talk. Who knows what God could do through simple obedience? Second, there are those in this room who are on the outside who are now thinking, "I've done too much. I've, 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 I've used my body in ways that, if people knew, uh, they would, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be. I couldn't come in." I've done things. I, I, I'm, I'm constantly on the outside. I've tried to work my way to the inside and I've done ways of mutilating my body, selling myself, doing things that I shouldn't have ever done. I'm too far outside. And to you, the gospel says, I'm coming to get you. I, I, this work is for you. That Christ's work He's drawing you. He's coming to you. And that in Christ, in Christ, you can rest from your striving. And in Christ, you can cling to the covenant that has been fulfilled in him. And just like this Ethiopian eunuch, like was promised in Isaiah 56, he leaves rejoicing. He leaves rejoicing. Rejoicing in what? The work of salvation today as we sing, as we come to the table, there will be people over here ready to pray for you. Some of you are saying, how can I, I need somebody to pray with me, I need somebody to stand with me, I need somebody, we'll be there. We can't save you, but we can pray with you, we can talk to you. Church, I pray that today we, we don't just sit around here and just analyze this and try to get kind of educational study of it and forget that there's a response being demanded. We should come with rejoicing in the work that Christ has done for us and that we should have this burden this week to share this with others. To be an evangelist. To be one who proclaims, led by His Spirit, knowing that only God can save. And then for those of you who feel so far outside, I pray that today you would come and then on the 23rd you would say, what hinders me from being baptized? nothing. Christ has done the work. Trust in him. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.